Thank you, praise team. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14. And I just want to say it's great to be back with you. Gwen and I had a wonderful time away. And um, we're able to meet with believers in Australia and New Zealand and uh, had wonderful contact with two churches there, as well as a time of just celebrating God's faithfulness 30 years together in ministry. Thank you for your love, your support, your help, and our partnership in the gospel. Praise be to God. If you have a prayer slip or a visitor slip, if you would pass that to the aisle, center aisle, we would love to... um, Pick those up and we'll be praying for you uh, this week. I want to wish you um, a Merry Christmas as we come together on this Christmas Eve morning. And I want to share a message that I first heard as as a new believer by Robert uh, Boyd Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. And um, I've preached it about, I heard it first in 1986 and I've preached it about once a decade since. And it's a message really focused on our love and devotion to Christ. And I pray that it would have that impact on us today. I want to set the stage in the Word of God. Uh, John 14, Jesus said in these opening verses, Let not your heart be troubled. And believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, mansions in the King James. If it were not so, I would have told you that Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, from now on, you, you do know him and have seen him. And then in the same chapter, if you would look down to verses 22 and 20, or excuse me, 23 and 24, Jesus is talking to them about obedience. And he says in verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who, fathers who sent me. And then Ephesians chapter 3. Paul concludes this chapter with a prayer. And is it ever a prayer? He says in verse 14, For this, see, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, may you speak to us this Christmas Eve. May our hearts be completely surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This time of year, no doubt about it, is filled with excitement. Christmas is a cherished holiday in our culture, and many would say it's for the kids. And who would deny that it's not a joy to see children at Christmas time? But that ultimately isn't the meaning of Christmas. It's time for the family. We're all for that coming together, aren't we? It's time to show goodwill towards others, which has been kind of a historic general view of what Christmas should be about. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, our focus is on the wonder of the incarnation. For us, Christmas is not a sentimental story about a baby, a baby born in poverty, but really about how God himself took on human flesh, how he lived a sinless life, how he died an appointed, predetermined, substitutionary death which, by which he paid for sins once and for all, how he was placed in a borrowed tomb and three days later rose from the dead, and that he ascended into heaven after showing himself alive with many proofs to his disciples and to over 500 people at one time. And he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he will come again, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him, and those who are his will be received by him, redeemed and saved to sin no more. So when we think of God coming in the person of Jesus Christ, that is what we mean, and that is our hope. Do you believe in Jesus in that way? When you think of Christmas, what's it about for you? What is it about? Jesus' last words to his disciples were given as a commission. He commissioned them to go into all the world and to preach, and that all who would believe their word would go into the world and proclaim great things, the great things he has done. So sinners, high and low, and rich and poor, regardless of the color of your skin or the dysfunction of your family tree, might find relief in Jesus Christ as our only Redeemer and hope. In short, as the angel said to Joseph, Um, when Jesus was born. Jesus was born for this reason, to save his people from their sins. The issue is, is, are you among his people? And how would you know that? We sang this morning of this hope that has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let every heart prepare him room. Prepare him room, reminding us that Jesus didn't come and go. Uh, The miracle of his saving promises includes that he lives within every believer. In the letter to the Ephesians that we just read, Paul said that God may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Or as another has translated that verse, that Christ may settle down and be at home in your hearts by faith. Without question, one of the most remarkable Christian doctrines is that Jesus Christ himself, through the Holy Spirit, will enter a heart and settle down there and be at home there. Jesus said to the disciples, if a man loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and dwell in him. But as he was telling them that he would soon be leaving and that they couldn't come with him, it was difficult for them to understand how is that possible for him both to leave them and to make his home in them. And then came Pentecost and the spirit of the living God came 
And the Spirit of God was given to the church. And now they understood that God didn't dwell in Herod's temple in Jerusalem, nor in any temple made with hands. Now through the miracle of the outward spirit, God would dwell in human hearts and the body of the believer would be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Moments after Pentecost, the disciples knew more about Jesus than they had known in the three years previously. For us, living two millennium after Christ, the same Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that indeed, if you know him and love him, he dwells within you. Your heart is to be his home. It is your home. It is his home if you trust him. It's difficult for me to think of a higher privilege than to make for Christ a home in my heart. To welcome him, to serve him, to please him, and to know him there. If the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all of our heart and soul and being, could we do any less? Christ will live in any human heart that receives him through repentance and faith. In fact, the well-men offer of the gospel is that you would believe on him today in this way. So on this Christmas Eve, I want to focus on the truth of our hearts being the home of Jesus Christ. I mentioned early in my Christian life being challenged with this thought. I'll never forget when Christ came into my heart as a young man. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, although that is the testimony of some, but for me it wasn't. But it was very real, occurring at the center of my soul. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire in the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been turmoil and harmony where there had been chaos. He filled the emptiness of my soul with his own presence. I have never regretted receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I never will. In fact, my newfound relationship with Christ could be best described as, I was once dead in my sins, but now... By his grace, I'm alive to God. After Christ entered my heart and the joy of that newfound relationship, I said, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want you to settle down here and be fully at home here. I want you to use it as your own. Let me show you around and point out some of the features of the home so that you may be more comfortable. I want to enjoy our time together. He was glad to come and seemed delighted to be given a place in my ordinary heart. The first room we looked at together was the study, the room of the mind. Let's call it the the study of the mind. Now in my home, this room of the mind is a small room with thick walls. But it's an important room. In a sense, it's the control room of the house. What I think about, what I entertain, He entered in with me and looked around at the books on the bookcase and the history on my computer and the images on the walls of my mind. And as I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. Strangely enough, I had not felt badly about this room before, but now that Christ was there looking at these things, I was somewhat embarrassed. There were some books on the shelves. His eyes were too pure to look at. As for the pictures on the wall, the imaginations and thoughts of my mind, as well as ideologies and attitudes that I held for years, 
Some of these were shameful. Embarrassed, I turned to him and said, Master, I know this room really needs to be cleaned up and made over. Will you help me shape it up and change it to what it ought to be? Certainly, he replied. I'm glad to help. I've come to handle such things as this. First of all, you need to take all the material that you're reading and viewing and listening to that are not true and good and pure and righteous, and you need to set them off. You need to get them off the shelf of your mind. It's important that you develop new habits if you're going to follow me. New habits and desires with regard to your thinking. Fill the library with the scriptures. Meditate upon them day and night. Don't be conformed to this world, but through the renewing of your mind, present yourself to me every day. As for the pictures on the walls, you'll have difficulty controlling the images, but here's something that will help. And he gave me a full-size portrait of himself to hang on the wall. And I did, and I've discovered through the years that when my thoughts are centered on Jesus Christ, His presence, His holiness, the awareness of His power causes wrong and impure thoughts to back away. So He he has helped me to bring my thoughts under control, even though it's a daily struggle. If you have difficulty with your thoughts, the study of your mind, let me urge you and encourage you to bring Christ there. Pack it full of the Word of God, study it, meditate on it, and keep clearly before you the presence of the Lord Jesus. There's just simply no substitute if you want to reign in your thought life. The realization that Christ knows my every thought has called me to a new obedience in Him, in the secret places of my mind and heart, has changed my life. From the study We went to the dining room, the room of appetites and desires. Now, this was a large room and a very important room to me. I spent a lot of time and a lot of hard work trying to satisfy my wants. I told him, this is is one of my favorite rooms. I'm sure you will be pleased with what we serve here. He seated himself at the table and asked, what's on the menu for dinner tonight? Well, I said some of my favorite food, money, education, my achievements and advancement, popularity, and basically everything that makes me happy. These were the things I liked most, a thoroughly secular, self-serving diet. It was not the kind of food that you would feed the, the, the soul and satisfy true spiritual hunger. When the plates were placed before us, he said nothing. However, I observed that he did not eat. His face reminded me of a lion's face if offered a bale of hay for supper. I asked, somewhat irritated, Savior, don't you like this food? What's the problem? He answered, I have food to eat you know not of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And he looked at me again and he said, if you want food that really satisfies, do the will of your heavenly father. Put his interest and fame before your own. Stop striving to call the shots in your life. Learn to surrender your desires and your own ambitions. Learn to surrender your your desires to him. Seek to please your heavenly father. That food will really satisfy you. Here, try a bit of it. 
And there about the table, he gave me a taste of doing God's will. What a flavor. There's no food like it in all the world. It alone satisfies. And at the end, everything else leaves you hungry. What's on the menu of the dining room of your desires? What kind of food are you serving your heart and your indwelling Savior? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, that's passing away. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. We moved um, next into the living room. This was a quiet, comfortable room with a warm atmosphere. I liked it. It had a fireplace, a couch, comfortable chairs, a bookcase, and an intimate atmosphere. He also seemed pleased with it. He said, indeed, this is a great room. How about if we meet here every day? It's secluded and quiet. We can have good talks. We can open the word and fellowship together. Well, naturally, as a new Christian, I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do than spend time with Christ. And he said, and promised, I'll be here every morning early. Meet me here, and we'll start the day together. So morning after morning, I would go downstairs to the living room, and he would take a book of the Bible, and from the bookcase, he would open it, and we would read it together. He would unfold to me the wonder of God's saving truth recorded on its pages and would bring my heart to great joy. Those times were wonderful. Through the Bible and the Holy Spirit, I began to really experience God speaking to me. In prayer, I would respond. So our fellowship deepened and I began to grow in my faith. However, under the pressures of life and many responsibilities, little by little, that time began to be shortened. Why, I'm not sure. Maybe I just assumed that I was too busy to give special regular time with the Lord and I just moved on with my day. Eventually, not only was it a day, but it was days. And sometimes it would come when pressures surfaced in life, midterms and finals, matters of urgency, important meetings and deadlines seemed to choke out that fellowship with Christ. One morning I recall rushing down the steps in a hurry to be on my way to an important appointment and as I passed by the living room door, I looked in and I saw the fire in the fireplace and Jesus sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, it came to me, here is my guest. I have received him as the Lord and Savior of my heart. And he's come as my Savior, Redeemer, and friend to live in me, and yet I've neglected him. I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. And with a downcast look, I said, Master, I'm sorry. Have you been here every morning? Yes, he said. I told you I would be here to meet with <clears throat> to, be, to meet with you, and I felt even more ashamed. He had been faithful in spite of my faithlessness. I asked him to forgive me as he does and always does when I confess my sins to him. And he said, the, tr- the trouble is that you've been thinking of your time in the Bible and in prayer and in worship as a means for your own spiritual growth. That's true, but you've forgotten that this time means something to me as well. Remember that I love you and at great cost have redeemed you. 
I value your fellowship. You were saved for that. So don't neglect this hour, even if for my sake, whether or not you want to be with me, remember that I always want to be with you. I discovered that prayerlessness was basically saying to Christ, I've got this. I'm fine on my own. And nothing could be farther from the truth. I need him every hour. Every hour. I need him. The truth that Christ wants my fellowship, that he loves me and wants to be with me and waits for me has done more to transform my personal worship than anything else. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your heart. But every day, find time, moment by moment throughout the day, worship him. Before long, he asked, do you have a workroom in the house? Out in the garage of the home of my heart, I had a workbench and some equipment, but I wasn't doing much with it. Once in a while, I would play around and make a few little gadgets, but nothing was being produced that was substantial. I took him out there. He looked over the workbench and he said, "Uh, this is is fairly well furnished. What are you producing in your life for the kingdom of God? He looked at one or two of the little toys I'd thrown together and he held them up and he said, is this the sort of thing Is this the sort of thing you're doing for others in your Christian life? I was humbled and devastated. Lord, that's the best I can do. I I know it isn't much, but it's, it's better than most. I'm ashamed to say that my selfishness, discomfort, and limited abilities, I'm not a good speaker, I'm not a good debater, and with all the commitments in my life, I don't think I could produce much more than this. Would you like to do better? Yes, Lord, you know I would. Well, first remember what I taught you, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Come, rest in me. Let my spirit work through you. Seize the opportunities that are given to you. Serve me in glad obedience. I know you're unskilled and clumsy and awkward, but the spirit's the master worker. And there around that workbench, he put his arms, his great arms around me and his hands under mine, and he began to pick up the tools and began to work through me. It amazes me that his skilled hands can do what his skilled hands can do through mine if I only trust him and obey him. I'm very far from being satisfied with what's being produced in my life, but I know this, that I do, whatever I do is produced for God and has been through him, through the power of his spirit in me. Don't be discouraged because Um, You cannot do much for God. It's not our ability, but our availability that's important. He's the one who gives the gifts, and he is the one who is to get the glory. Give what you are to Christ. Be sensitive and responsive to serve him every day. He, He will surprise you with what he can do through you. I remember the time he asked about the rec room, where I went for fun and entertainment. I was hoping he wouldn't ask about that because there were certain friendships and activities in my life that I wanted to keep for myself. I did not think Jesus would enjoy or approve of them, so I avoided the question. However, one evening when I was on my way out with some friends um, for a night on the town, he was at the door and he stopped me with a glance and he said, are you going out tonight? I said, yes. He said, good, I'll go with you. I said, oh, I don't think... 
you want to go with me tonight. Maybe tomorrow night we can go to a Bible study or uh, something at the church. And he said, um, you know, I, I thought that when I came into the home of your heart that we would spend every time together. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. And so I went out for a night on the town with my friends. And um, that evening I spent some miserable hours. It was awful. It was as if I were out of place and uncomfortable the entire evening. I understood quickly that, that leaving Christ out of my life or compartmentalizing my life was a recipe for misery. When I returned that evening, I went up to talk it over with him. I acknowledge, Lord, I've learned my lesson. I know now I cannot have a good time if you're not along. And even any enjoyment, enjoyment apart from you is short-lived. From now on, we will do everything together. Then we went down into the rec room of the house, and he transformed it. He brought new friendships, new excitements, new joys. Laughter and music have been ringing in the house ever since. He said, remember, I came that you might have joy and that your joy might be full then to something uncomfortable. Growing up in a sex-crazed culture has carried with it some deep sorrows. It seems that every hour in America is sex o'clock. One day he pointed out to me that my bedroom was not only a place of rest, but was also to be the place of special intimacy, but not in the ways I'd learned I had basically understood that there were some boundaries for sexual behavior. I knew about the Ten Commandments. It said, you shall not commit adultery. I I knew uh, that the Scripture said that it's not good for a man to cheat on his wife or a wife to have an adulterous relationship with another man. In my early years, there were some issues of reputation of a couple living together, but all that's gone now. Little by little, that stigma has become less and less, and now it seems that almost any sexual activity is permissible anytime, anywhere, and even peddled as entertainment. On that day, he said to me, listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. I forbid adultery and and premarital sex, fornication, any sexual expression outside of marriage. I forbid that, not because it isn't good, it is, it is good. It's a gift of God. But it was created to be shared in marriage. It is a means of bonding two lives and deepening love. It has a creative power to bring human life into being. Sex is powerful, experienced in the proper place. It has tremendous potential for blessing and for good. Used sinfully, it destroys and it ruins and it shames. Sexual intimacy was created by God to be enjoyed within marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime. I had been taught other things about sex. But he opened his word and showed me truths like 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And Hebrews 13.4, that marriage is to be held in honor among all men and that The marriage bed is to be undefiled, fornicators and adulterers God will judge. He also showed me that with the struggles 
of my heart that life in the Spirit was, among other things, self-control. He told me that he was tempted in every way like I was, and yet without sin, and he gave me hope with the battle of temptations in my life. Are they over? No, they won't be till I see him. But he is stronger still. Save this room. Save the bedroom of your life for marriage. A lifelong covenant with your wife. You will in fact be, a, it will be in fact a gift to you from me. And so when the battle rages, I found Christ gives clarity. His word is not silent even among these things. There's one more thing. There's one more matter of crucial consequence I need to share with you. One day I found him waiting for me at the front door and he had an arresting look in his eye and he said, "Um, there's a peculiar odor in the house. There's something dead here. It's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. And as soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. Indeed, um, there was a small closet up there on the hall landing, just a few square feet. And in that closet behind lock and key were one or two little personal things that I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly, I didn't want him to know about. They were dead and rotting things left over from my life, attitudes and behaviors that were not right and good to have in the Christian life yet I loved them. If I were pressed, I would say, yes, they are idols. I wanted them so much for myself, I was really afraid to admit that they were there. And reluctantly, I went up the stairs with him, and as we got closer to the closet, the smell became stronger and stronger, and he pointed at the door, and he said, there, in there, something dead is in there. It made me angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the study, to the dining room, to the living room, to the workroom, to the rec room, to the bedroom, and now he's hassling me about a two-by-four closet? This is too much. I'm not going to give the key. Well, he responded, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay in here with that smell, you have another thing coming. And he began to go down the stairs. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the worst things that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his face and fellowship from you. Time and time again in the Christian life, how he calls us to give him the key. To give him the key to surrender to his lordship And so in despair, I said, Lord, I'll give you the key. But you will have to open the closet and clean it out. I don't have the strength to do it. I know, he said. I know you don't. Just give me the key, authorize me, and I'll give you what you need. So I passed the key over to him. He took it from my hand. In a moment's time, he came and he took the dead putrefying things in that closet and he cleaned it up. He cleansed the closet, painted it, fixed it in a moment's time. Immediately, a fresh, fragrant breeze swept through the house. The whole atmosphere changed. What release, what victory to have that dead thing out of my life. 
what release and victory to, to, to surrender to him. And the beauty and the blessing of repentance is surrender to Christ. No matter what sin or what pain there may be in your past, Jesus is ready to forgive. Jesus is ready to heal. Jesus is ready to make whole. Jesus is the master of new beginnings. Give him the key. I've walked with the Lord for 38 years now. And I can't tell you how many times I've been called to that surrender. I have to come to see that this is what it means to know him as your Lord and as your king. My entire life, which is not unique to believers, my entire life has been an exercise of surrender, of putting off that which is displeasing to him and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then a thought came to me. I said to myself, I've been trying to keep this heart of mine clean and available for Christ, but it's hard work. I start in one room and no sooner do I have that cleaned up, it seems like there's another problem. (laughs) That's the Christian life. I ask him, Lord, would you manage the whole house? Would you operate it for me? Just as you did the closet, would you keep my heart and make it what it ought to be and help me uh, remain focused on what I ought to be focused on and what I ought to be doing without hesitation? He says, that's exactly what I've came for, what I've come for. You can't live the Christian life in your own power. In a moment, things became clear. Running as fast as I can to the strong box where I kept all the valuable documents for my house, I brought him the title deed. Then rushing back to him, I eagerly signed it over, giving giving title to him alone for time and eternity. And dropping to my knees, I presented it to him. Here it is, all I am and hope to be, I surrender to you. He took my life. I continue to surrender my life. There's no better way to live than fully surrender to him. He knows better than anyone, even myself, how to keep me and use me and a deep peace settles down when I'm surrendered to him. So, may Christ settle down and be at home as the Lord of your heart. Because the same rooms I have, you have too. I preach so that you might know and love and follow Jesus Christ. He is what you need most. A saving relationship is a life-giving relationship with him. It's not hit and miss, but consuming. So this Christmas Eve, we call every heart to prepare him room and heaven and nature Sing. How do I respond to faith to this message of the God? How do I respond? Let's, let's just keep it simple and biblical. Acknowledge your sin before a holy and omniscient God. That means he knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about you. You were created in his image. Sin has marred that image, and that's why you need a Savior like the rest of us. Trust Christ who is alive who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead, trust him. Walk in obedience with him. 
And maybe that would begin with you obeying him through baptism. Every believer is to be baptized in his name. That is the opening declaration of our faith in Christ. To follow him in baptism. To make him known to others. To build your life around a local church where you're known and you can know others. Grow in your knowledge of God's word and live every day as a gift from him. So may Christ settle down and be at home in your heart. Believers, may we love him big this Christmas season. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we come to this closing of our service, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would surrender the issues of our heart, that we would know new beginnings with you and your grace. I pray for those that are without Christ, that they would acknowledge their sin, that they would see you as the only one who can be their all-sufficient Savior, and that they would turn from whatever they're trusting in to you alone. And for all of us, that we would not um, begrudge your call for us to surrender to you. Oh Lord, bear fruit from us. We yield to you. We worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If there are needs on your heart this morning, we're here to pray with you. But um, may we do business with the Lord in these closing moments.